Everybody, welcome. We're here to have a masterclass from Maker Studios. Um, we're delighted that Daniel has come up uh, along with Kim. They're both really busy and they've just come up for this session and they've got a lot of interesting information to give us. Uh, Daniel Hewitt is MD of Maker Studios in the UK and he's here with Kim, um, who is a YouTube maker and has her own very successful channel and gr group of people around you that work in a very successful way. So she's going to share with us her journey. Um, so Ma Maker Studios, we're going to get more detail later, but I think the thing to hang on to is that they're now at 10 billion views every single month. And they get, they've currently got, I think, if I've got the stat right, because it goes up by the day, 650 million subscribers. Now, that is overall, but, but a big chunk of that we know is kids. And that over the last year, you're moving more into the area where we're looking at content that <coughs> young people are sharing, because that's what they're doing. Yeah, we're following audiences and younger audiences are native to these short form digital platforms and so that's where we'll be. So what we're going to be doing is exploring how Maker works. We're looking at, at creative freedom because as you'll see from the presentations uh, we're opening things up that haven't been in TV and we're looking at business models. So Daniel if you want to come and take us through how Maker works um, and then Kim can tell us how how she's found it working with you. Absolutely. <laughs> we up and running. Good morning, everyone. Uh, really nice to be here. I'm going to take you through a whistle-stop tour of the maker business um, and then bring Kim up to take her perspective on being a creator in this amazing new landscape. Um, I'll start with a short reel to give you a flavor of what we're all about. So that's an important point that we made you peace, and I'll come on to that again in a minute. Um, and if you're aware of this study that was conducted last year uh, in the US by Variety in terms of fandom and celebrity around young people uh, of the top 20 celebrities uh, as followed or defined by the, that audience, nine of them are digital creators, YouTubers. And another study that just came out recently, we're talking about linear programming, again, for younger audiences, um, that half are not watching TV in the schedule, right? They're time shifting, they're watching on their terms, and it's kind of no real surprise to you guys, and we'll see how the trust plays out with BBC Three and a few other big announcements. Um, so where does Maker sit in that ecosystem? We're a relatively young global media business, just over five years old. Uh, the company was founded by a handful of creators, friends in Los Angeles. They had aspirations to work in TV and to be at a network and to make great content. Um, but they were really frustrated about the traditional routes to market and what it took to kind of get there. Um, but they had the tools and the technology and the platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, to be able to share their ideas um, and their films and to find an audience. 
and it coincided with Google and YouTube opening up what they call the partner program, which you're aware of today, where once your channel reaches a certain threshold in terms of views and audience, and you're creating original content, they'll invite you to the partner program whereby you get a revenue share of the ads served against you and your content. So they got a check and they're like, well, that's pretty interesting. Um, you know, if we can find a bigger audience, um, we can get bigger checks, we can give up our shitty day jobs, we can make this a career. And that's ostensibly what happened. And through collaboration with other creators, with people with other skills, whether it was props designers or editors, this movement gained momentum and more people wanted to kind of get involved. And as you saw from the reel today, Maker Studios is a, a network of over 55,000 uh, rights holders and content creators from all around the world. Um, the business was founded in the US, but we're truly global from both from a creator perspective, 70% of those 55,000 creators are outside of North America. Similarly, the audience against those creators. Um, they're producing an incredible amount of original content just in our small ecosystem. Um, over 1200 hours of original content is produced and uploaded every day. When we look at what does that actually manifest at from an audience perspective, over 10 billion video streams a month and growing. So in terms of younger audiences, are they on YouTube? We did a really interesting study in the UK with uh, Netmums last year. And yeah, they are the really, I mean, I'm sure if any of you have children into Minecraft or any of those other platforms, Kim will talk about it more, but there is a big groundswell that, that audience um, can find instant gratification and they can connect to people and to themes and to topics that are really relevant to them and they can do it immediately. Like unboxing as a phenomenon, I don't know if any of you are familiar with, with this, it's channels where individuals literally just open toys or packs of Pokemon cards. Um, and these channels are extraordinarily huge and children just watch again and again and again. Um, and it's a new creative art form. And so who are these individuals and, and what motivates them? Well, we'll hear from Kim in a, in a second, but it's really fascinating. They're not tied to YouTube specifically. They are for the revenue at the moment, but all of these other social platforms are incredibly important and they're on them all the time. So depending on how often and how regularly they can create content, um, which really depends on the type of genre or vertical that they're in, because some areas are easier to produce original content than others. Um, they're constantly engaged with their fans in this place. So that idea of, you know, we made you, there's this relationship, this, this new connection between the audience, the fans, as you'll see, and, and the content creator. And I've used caught yesterday, but Facebook finally announced that uh, they will be sharing revenue with creators and rights holders on Facebook. So it's all coming, all the other platforms will catch up. So who are these individuals? What do they look like? You saw PewDiePie's phenomenal, right? This guy has amassed over 8 billion video streams on YouTube uh, in the last four and a half years. If you compare that to a Media company, let's say like Red Bull Media House. Red Bull is definitely a media company. Um, they've just gone over one billion video streams. But if you compare the, the, the cost to generate those, Red Bull Stratos was $35 million alone. So it's just a, it's a completely different way of programming and producing content. And PewDiePie exists within gaming and sports. So it's the way that we organize those 55,000 channels into passions and verticals. 
So Marzia is fashion and beauty, again, to a really young audience. And the type of content that she produces is based on really a frustration that the things that she's really passionate about aren't being produced anywhere else. Other media companies aren't making kind of fashion looks and styles and things like that. And as I said before, you know, the new iPhone has got a 4K video camera in it. For anyone who runs production companies, just to buy a 4K video camera five or six years ago would have cost thousands and thousands of pounds. We have a family vertical, and that's parents and really younger children. And we're able to understand and program for that younger audience. YouTube obviously have a registration that starts at 13, but as we saw from that NetMums study, um, they're, going, they're very, very young. And so we're able to program and curate and work with talent and, and, um, and filmmakers who understand that their audience is very, very young. And, and so their content is really appropriate to that age and that demographic. And then we have a big entertainment vertical, music, comedy, parody, etc. I think what's really exciting about this time that we're in at the moment is that these traditional silos of content creation, content commissioning, distribution are all being torn down. So when you hear from Kim, surely you'll understand that she's the brand, she's the advertiser, she's the content creator, and she's the distribution. She owns her own audience. It's a really powerful time. So that group of people who TV commissioners and other media would formally call the audience, they are no longer the audience. They're directly participating in the content creation and the direction of the content. And we have a lot of insight and data, so I can talk a bit more about that perhaps on the panel. Within that network that we have of 55,000, we know what's being created is defined by the creators. We know how people are finding that content through search and social referral. And then we're seeing the consumption trends. So we can start to get a really good idea of you know, what people's appetites are. Then we talk about passion and we talk about the motivation for doing this. Like for a lot of, for a lot of people in traditional media and working in production companies, the thought of picking up a camera and filming yourself and you know broadcasting that to the world is still very much kind of an, a, a, it's uncomfortable. I was in a car recently with, a, with one of our talents and um, they got their phone out and rather than sat naving they started periscoping straight away and I was like, this is weird. And I'm kind of sitting there, but they just want to connect and they're the, fir they're the first people to do that. And, um, and so please meet Kim. Um, she's quite shy, quite retiring. Her passion might not quite come through, but let's have a look. Hey guys, it's Kim here and welcome to E3 2000. See you guys next time. Bye! Behave yourselves while I'm gone. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very shy and retiring indeed. Uh, so hi, my name is Kim um, and I'm a YouTuber, as you may be able to tell from my obnoxious hair color and inability to wear clothing that isn't covered in pop culture references. Um, I'm a part of the Yogs cast. Um, so my channel is Yogscast Kim, youtube.com forward slash Yogscast Kim, please check it out, plug. Um, the Yogscast started in 2008 and it was founded by two guys called Simon and Lewis who played a lot of World of Warcraft in their bedrooms. Um, and to date they have over 7 million subscribers. And uh, we no longer work in their bedroom because that would be really awkward. Uh, we actually have an office in Bristol, uh, referred lovingly by the fans as Yog Towers, where we have 17 full-time staff members and over 24 content creators. 
Um, so as I mentioned, I'm Yogscast Kim, and I'm one of the newer channels. Um, I started my channel in May 2013, and to date I have just over um, 700,000 subscribers. Um, as you can see from the lovely showreel there, um, I play video games, that's my thing. Um, I've been a gamer all my life, and I've been in the games industry for eight years, previously as a games journalist and now as a content creator. Uh, on my channel, I mostly play horror games, because everyone loves watching me scream. Uh, I play a lot of multiplayer games, so Mario Kart, Mario Party, Towerfall Ascension, anything that I can join up with my friends and my colleagues in the Yogscast and just have a good laugh. And of course, I play Minecraft, because if you want to be on YouTube and gaming, you better play Minecraft. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, so probably a lot of your kids know me better by my Minecraft persona, Nano Sounds. Um, as I mentioned, I come from a gaming journalism background, and as part of that, that's probably why my earlier content um, had a lot of reviews, uh, gaming reviews, um, which I called Kimpressions, because, you know, YouTube loves a good pun. Um, and I also do a lot of events coverage, so I go to the major gaming events like E3, um, Gamescom, Eurogamer, all that kind of thing, and just run about playing people's games and interviewing game devs about their next title. And I also do interviews. As you saw there, bizarrely, I managed to land an interview with Sigourney Weaver, who was in Alien Isolation, uh, which is perhaps one of the most bizarre moments of my career. Um, and I've also interviewed a whole bunch of uh, wrestlers. I don't know if we've got any wrestling fans in the audience, but I'm a huge wrestling fan. And as part of uh, their yearly game, I actually got to go to SummerSlam and meet all the big guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin, Mick Foley, Jerry Lawler. And I basically ran around doing my professional face. And then as soon as the camera was off and they weren't looking, I was like, oh my god. Because um, it was my childhood me, you know, getting their greatest wish um, granted. And, uh, oh yeah, next week I'm going to interview Miyamoto-san, who is the creator of Mario, which is insane. <laughs> so um, I also do a lot more presenting. Um, so in the Yogscast, we have several networks, we have several channels, and everyone does a slightly different thing. And I tend to be the person who does the more things like this, uh, coming and talking to a room of people, going to events, doing interviews, doing game coverage. Um, but as part of this, I do a lot of work for other clients. So for the last two years, I've been the presenter for BAFTA's Young Game Designers program, where we go around to various gaming studios in the UK and interview people about what it's like to be in the gaming industry, how do you get into the gaming industry, and getting young people interested in the games industry and being the next games developers. Um, I've also hosted game launches. Uh, I've shot a couple of pilot shows. Uh, I don't know if you noticed in the initial make a reel there, there was a, a sting for Pixelated. That was actually me <laughs> dressed up as a superhero on the hoverboard. Um, so it does get pretty ridiculous. Uh, I also shoot game trailers. And uh, probably my biggest um, external contract at the moment was for a CBBC show called Technobabble. And uh, as I realized, one of the producers is in the audience here, so I'm not going to say the next few lines that I wrote down. I'm <laughs> kidding, kidding. It was a great experience. Um, so yeah, there's plenty of opportunities outside of my own channel on YouTube, as, um, as you can see. Um, so yeah, that's who I am. I hope you got a little bit more of an idea who I am, and I welcome any further questions on the rest of this panel. Uh, but yeah, please feel free to check out my channel, youtube.com forward slash Kim. how to get the plug in there. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you both very much. I think the thing that struck me is since I first sort of came across YouTube and looked at YouTube, it's very much UGC, people in their bedrooms, 
and now as you say that's got awkward <laughs> things have grown up and and the the creative has changed as well as the business model has changing what are you seeing Daniel because we first met at Bebo years ago yeah things yeah have moved so, on yeah I was doing we've been doing this for a while so we we're doing all the uh, original online dramas and things like Kate Modern a, a while ago but I think the the, the difference then and, and with uh, with YouTubers in their in their bedrooms is that um, audiences are demanding more they're demanding better quality from a production perspective as well as a creative perspective um, and and the audience decides they decide with their clicks and their and their views and so um, the audience are really they're, they're much more in control around success of content and what's deemed good and quality you know than um, than perhaps it has been before so I think that's one of the big changes and how are you seeing kids because we're here to talk about the kids sure. side and you mentioned a mum's net survey that you did because I think we're, we're all wondering from the kids community how that's happened what is happening because we can't see as much data but those of us with kids know that what is happening is my iPhone keeps sneaking into the front room so they can watch things using yeah. my iPhone via Apple TV so how are you seeing it as a business model what's happening with the kids sector so kids now have access to all sorts of different devices and, and TV still a massive part of their life. We, we see that in the data and the, and the stats around it. They're, they're, this TV is still ridiculously strong. There's no question it's not going anywhere for a while. But people are now able to access content at different times. It, and that's the big shift. So one of the stats that you saw on, on, on with us is that 60% of those, actually over 11 billion streams last month, are on mobile devices. And we see that as a, almost like a snacking behavior around content. So the duration of the content in certain categories is getting a little bit shorter. So people can connect to individuals like Kim on their terms and when they want and in and around the other kind of big shows that um, they love and share with their friends. So um, it's really a kind of time shifting. We're not creating more hours in the day, but we're, the technology is giving people access to connect to things they want whenever they want. And in terms of kids, because something when Kim and I were talking earlier, I said the type of thing she's doing is, is got the tone that Saturday morning TV would have had. How are you seeing the kids reacting with your content? One thing I'd say is, so I have some very young nieces and nephews who are now freaking out because I'm suddenly the favourite aunt in the group, um, in the family tree. And... When I talk to them, because when I talk to them now, I do try and use them as you know, my guinea pigs. And I say, well, how do you watch this? When do you watch my videos? It's really embarrassing that you watch my videos. I'm really sorry that I accidentally swore in that video. Um, so they often, I think young, the younger people nowadays, they watch things on their tablets. They steal their parents' iPhones. Um, and the comment that stuck with me is that my niece doesn't understand TV. She doesn't understand why things are scheduled, so she doesn't understand that she has to wait uh, until a certain time to watch a program um, because she's used to just picking up an iPhone, going on YouTube, Googling Minecraft, and there's a whole host of videos she can watch and her favorite series that she can watch at any time. And if there's no new episode, um, there's a whole back catalogue she can go through and binge watch. And that's something I find in a lot in the younger audience. They like to binge watch. Um, and there's very little advertising. Um, so uh, on YouTube, um, ads can be skipped after four seconds. Um, so she doesn't have to sit around and wait for it. And of course, it's everywhere. It's on your tablet, your phone, TV, 
computer console um, and, and that's how they're watching it and the other thing that strikes me as well is um, I was just thinking from my experience on Technobabble um, when I was promoting it through my social media streams and going oh my god I've been part of this show please go and watch it and then I was linking to BBC iPlayer um, a lot of my audience couldn't watch it because a lot of my audience are international so they're American Australian European um, and a lot of them were frustrated that they couldn't watch iPlayer outside of the UK, so they couldn't consume this new show that I was in. So that's another thing that's a real benefit to YouTube is that it is international. You can be anywhere in the world and you can watch it um, and, and be entertained by it. Um, so that's definitely two things I would say about in my experience is that, yeah, kids just don't want to wait for their content. They want it now. Um, they like binge watching and they don't like region locks. <laughs> and I think there's also, Dom, you made a good point about, about um, you know, personality and purpose of the channel. And so, you know, a lot of the success and all the biggest YouTube channels you see are very personality driven. Mm -hmm. um, and the audience connects to them in a, in a really different way. That, that thing I touched on around them, the new celebrity, the new fandom, it really is. It's a, it's a, it's kind of like the Truman Show-esque. I mean, you were talking about you watched um, the Shaytards as a bit of family that kind of vlog their lives and um, uh, and 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 their, their their whole generation of families that are that are. It's the Truman Show basically, okay. and uh, you know you, you stay you're forced to stay up to watch the birth of their fourth child the, or something the, like the that. The youngest child on that video. I we were on holiday and I had to stay up <laughs> while the the birth was being reported till the birth had happened Aww. during the evening. I mean, you talk about personality. In TV, we know presenters move on. You're, it's still quite a nascent um, area. Are you planning to bring in brands underneath that personality, so grow the personalities and then expand? Are you, how are you looking to move the genre on so that you can capitalise on the audiences? So audiences are sticking. We're definitely seeing that, and we're in, we're in, we're in a... There are waves, and talent talent does have shelf lives in TV and other in, in, in other things. That, that that does sometimes happen. That certain things just run out of steam. Maybe there's a there's a creative limit to, to, to where that individual can, can get to. But what we're doing is that you know, as part of what Maker's purpose is, is to support, nurture, um, and and help the best digital creators all around the world and as part of that is is um, helping them create their brand their brand identity helping them to, to create longevity by giving them a more insight and data around consumption trends and habits around not only their content but within their kind of genre or their in their ecosystem so that they have the tools that they can start to see when you know maybe audiences aren't as, as engaged they have been initially if there's kind of any shift there or even where new kind of content opportunities are opting up like new themes that that, um, that uh, they can kind of latch onto and, and find new audiences or sustain their audiences um, we're also exec producing um, with third-party production partners along with our talent so I think that's a you know it's a really exciting move um, we've experimented already with uh, one one of our big channels in the in in the UK where um, she effectively exec produced an animation show that um, that we put out on her channel and this is really fascinating because um, 
you know, Kim's channel, it, it will rate effectively when, when she puts up a piece of content. Um, because of that fandom and people are so desperate for that, new, that next piece of content, um, we see that around 70% of the lifetime views of a piece of content around a personality channel happen within the first 24 hours or something like that. So their fans are waiting for that next piece of content. So we, could, so we know now that um, when we did this animation series and we put it out <coughs> on um, uh, this individual's channel, it rated, it did really well because it was validated by the channel owner, the, the brand, they were they exec produced it, was, it, was, it was their idea for sure. And we just helped to bring it to fruition. Um, and so we're going into the second, second season of that at the moment actually, and, and that's just the starting point. So I can actually envisage in, in, in uh, not too long from now where, where effectively, you know, we'll, we'll be, hundreds of channels, um, brands like Kim's, who will be producing content that, you know, might not even appear in, but will be exec producing, it'll be series by other production partners, and we'll be, we'll be programming for that audience through that channel, and not just on YouTube, anywhere that audience is, and anywhere that audience wants to connect with that brand. And you I mean, Kim, you say you've got 17 people working in your office, and 24 content producers. Do you, do you see that along with Dan or is, we've got a large audience here who are already working in the industry and want to know how they can collaborate, how they can work with you. At the moment everything's come from people like you starting in your bedroom. People here may be working in their bedroom but they've got, you know, they, they've got somewhere in the industry, they've got knowledge, they've got expertise. How do we start blending that? Can we blend it? Hmm. That's a curious question because, I mean, the thing about being a YouTuber is that, well, for me as well, even though I exist within a network called the Yogscast, I am my own channel. I make my own decisions. I make my own opportunities and, well, I take opportunities that make it also come to me with. Um, so, you know, at the core of everything is always, for me, whenever I'm, I'm considering what to do next, is what is going on on my channel. My main responsibility is my channel because, obviously, I need that to keep ticking over and keep... Um, you know, the fans happy, otherwise, you know, my brand's gone. Um, but for people who come to us, I mean, first up, we're open to any and all conversations, please come to us. Uh, I got business cards to hand out at the end. Um, we literally won't turn anyone away. We, we will in investigate every kind of avenue that we want to go down. So Yogscast at the moment are in the middle of um, working with an animation company to launch a cartoon. Uh, we're also working on a book, which is quite fun. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I do a lot of, um, I guess you'd call it freelance presenting. So for BAFTA, for CBBC, for um, various gaming companies to do trailers and things like that. So we are very much, you know, up for doing anything um, and everything. And it really is, it's just, I guess because we don't have reams and reams of people that you have to go through to come and talk to us if you want to come and talk to me about an idea you have or you know a project you'd like to work on no matter how outlandish just come to me and talk about it um and that's really i think that's the benefit of being a youtuber is that we're not a massive company with a huge hierarchy and lots of people that you have to go through you know um as daniel mentioned earlier i am not just a content producer you know, I am my own video editor, I am my own script writer, I'm my own um, camera person, I'm my own PR, I'm my own organizer. Um, so 
yeah, we don't have reams of people to go through. It is just us. Um, and the Yogscast is probably a little bit more unusual compared to a lot of YouTubers because um, we have our own, I guess, in-house production. Um, as I mentioned, we work in Bristol and in the office that we're in, we have uh, five recording studios where we record most of our gameplay and Minecraft and all that sort of thing. Um, but we also have a green screen studio, um, which we shoot in. And we also um, live stream from every Christmas. Every Christmas, we do a month long live stream to raise money for charity. Um, and we have our own sound studio as well. So we are you know, unique in that we can do a lot of stuff in house and we can do a lot of production ourselves for a lower cost. Um, so yeah, that's that's honestly what I'd say, just come straight to us. And yeah, we're open We're open for business as well. So we're in development on around 250 um, original shows and formats. And most of those are in partnership with third party production um, businesses, <laughs> um, development teams and things like that. So, so, but we're not making TV. Like that's that's the thing. The idea of a, the the form and the format, the twenty two minutes or the what you know, it doesn't exist in in, in our world. Um, so the things that we're working on are, you know, it's a three hundred and sixty five four minute kind of series. Those are the types of things that that we're interested in at, at the moment. We are like we saw some some t some telly things that we're doing. We're we're working with our friends at Disney on some really amazing projects. We're in production on two TV shows and development on another three. Um, and so it's really this, this idea of everything kind of being digital um, and we're trying to bring the best of, of, uh, of what we know, our talent and the audience that we have and taking it to broadcast partners um, so that we can drive audiences there and we can hopefully inspire some original thinking and some, some, some new types of creative formats. But a lot of those are done in partnership with, 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 with third parties. So, um, you know, we have an in-house creative team, we have an in-house production team. We don't have as space as these guys in the UK, um, yes. but uh, yet, yeah, give it time. Um, so we need help. We need partners. Which bring, brings us on to the business model, <laughs> which has been brought up before. How, how, what are the options? How does it work? And I know things will change. Yeah. But if people are thinking of engaging generally, how how will it work? It depends. Well, it depends on the it depends on the category and genre that you're in that you're in, and where there's a disproportionate amount of scale, right? So, gaming is 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 an easier production avenue because you drop some software in, you play a game. But to be successful in the in that in that genre um, requires something else. You need you need personality. You need commitment. It's not just, you don't find yeah. success overnight. Mm -hmm. um, For the record, I make one video, well, I have one video that goes out every day, uh, but sometimes it's one, two, or three videos that goes out per day. Um, so yeah, you have, to, you have to work hard, it's not easy. I'm not just sitting on my ass playing games all day, as my mum says I do. So, <laughs> and, and you were tweeting on the train to your followers, so yeah. you were, she was working on yeah, the train. Yeah, and it's a full-time job kind of talking to your audience, your fans, and, and you know, that, that's a lot of what I am, is uh, we were talking about fandom earlier. It's not an audience, there's not a distinct line. We are accessible through social media, through our comments, through Reddit, through Tumblr, through Twitter, through every social media going, and they want you, and they want access to you. And in some ways that's great because you know you're doing a good job or you can know what to do next. Um, and sometimes it's bad because they want you have to define that line between how much of you you give to them. So some people can get quite intrusive and want to know where you live, if you have a boyfriend, it, what your relationship state, that all like really personal kind of things that you're like, ah, oh, I don't think I'm cool with you knowing that. 
Um, but you know, um, but for the most part, it's fantastic having that direct access to the audience, who ultimately are the ones watching your stuff and paying your bills and keeping them happy. Yeah, I mean, I think look, I'll, I'll, I'll talk more about the money because yeah. I think that's important, right? Just, just, just get it out there. Um, it. It's, it's still a challenge to make the economics work. It's a challenge if, if your economics around production are creating TV values and having, you know, two producers, three camera people, and then like an edit suite at the back to make a four minute video. That's why it's just not gonna work, right? It's a different medium. This is a different medium we're talking about. It's not television. It's as different as TV is to theatrical, okay? We're, we're talking about a new, a new expression, a new creative expression. Um, there's a lot of money in digital short form and it's only going one way and that's up significantly. Every single brand on the planet is shifting investment into this medium. Why? Because that's where the audience is, right? And so the advertisers have to follow and they're getting their heads around and they understand and Google, Google's very, very good at this and they're evangelizing their platform and Facebook are coming and Twitter are coming with video. From our perspective, YouTube have the skippable ad format, right? So, um, and most people skip the ad. Well, not everyone skips. That's why there's there's money in the tank, and then there's also reserved the non-skippable ad format. So let's let's imagine 80, 89 percent of people skip. That's still a lot of people that are watching the ad and generating revenue. What our purpose is is to create value for someone like him. So we have to create distribution opportunities to help her find audiences that aren't always on YouTube. So whether that's building a app under the umbrella of Maker TV, which is a whole suite of tools, whether it's optimizing the value of the media within the Maker network. So we plan and buy a lot of those ads that are on YouTube um, because we wanna make sure that that ad, or more of those ads aren't skipped. And we're doing that. So by being more appropriate, by being able to place the right creative with the right audience against the right content, we're seeing that skip rate come down, which means there's more money in the network that we can then sh that we can make available for our creators. So, by being part of us, we we help generate revenue in a number of different ways: optimizing the 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 media value, branded content, and sponsorship opportunities. You saw a couple of examples there um, with Lenovo, and you know we do a lot of marketing for Disney and other um, theatrical businesses. We're working on anywhere at the moment around 600 concurrent branded entertainment opportunities. Everyone from Google, um, Coke, like you know, there's a brand out there. They want to be authentic and credible, and they understand that TV ad is a great format for television, right? But by taking that TV ad and putting it into this environment, which is a different medium, it doesn't perform as well, unsurprisingly. Like your bus creative isn't gonna work in a magazine. Like, whoa. <laughs> so, so we're helping those advertisers around working with talent in an authentic and credible way. And Kim will say no, like I'm sure you say no to more brand opportunities than, than you if say yes to. Fit. Exactly, yeah. yeah, because you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna compromise your audience and the value and the trust the audience have in you. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, branded entertainment is a big piece of us. You, you saw some programming opportunities, so we're making a lot of shows, whether they're digital shows or broadcast shows, so we, that creates more value for our talent. There's a big distribution piece, so you, we're able to package um, our content and take it to other partners on a licensing model and things like that. We have a big merch piece, so you guys are doing really great on the, on the merchandising front. We have a store, we have access to lots of partners, you can create things for them. So we're trying to help talent kind of like really diversify their, their, their revenue and their income from as many different places as possible. So just to add some detail to that, um, 
on my channel. Uh, so I get my monthly um, ad earnings from just the channel viewings. I also get revenue from merchandise. As Daniel mentioned, we have our own Yogscast merchandise store, which uh, we have t-shirts, posters, caps, anything we can think of, you name it, we'll put it on there if we think it will sell. Um, we also uh, make revenue from doing events. So um, recently at uh, the gadget show, we turned up on the Friday and Saturday, and uh, sorry, on the Friday, and we sold Yogscast specific tickets. So you could come in, come and meet us, and we had a, a stand like this uh, where we would sign, meet and greet, and then also our merch stall, very nicely placed. Um, and then you could come to an after show, which was two hours of us playing games live on stage doing Q&A with the audience, that kind of thing. And that sold, I think, something like £30 a ticket, 30 to £40 pounds a ticket. So, I, you know, I received revenue from appearances and doing shows like that. Um, and also, um, you know, I get paid for doing things like the BAFTA YGD thing, so doing... Um, this is for love, by the way. We're not getting paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, you promised me a cookie, <laughs> yeah, at least. Definitely get a cookie. Cool. Um, but, yeah, and also... Um, one of the other streams is, uh, because I'm a gamer, I get a lot of um, video gaming companies saying, coming to me and saying, well, would you mind playing um, Assassin's Creed, uh, doing three videos on it for a fee, a set fee? And of course, we, we um, say on the video, thank you to Ubisoft for sponsoring this, so we declare that it's sponsored. But because it's something that's so relevant to us, so as you saw there, I play a lot of Mario Kart. So Nintendo came to me and said, well, could you do um, four videos on the new DLC for Mario Kart for this fee? And I said, yes. And because I'm already playing a lot of Mario Kart, it's, it fits my brand, it suits. My, my audience were like, oh my god, this is cool. They didn't mind that it was sponsored because it's something that is already associated with me. And as far as the content in the video went, it wasn't an advertisement. I wasn't, you know, walking around going, oh, I really like this with my Apple branded phone and stuff like that. It was just me playing the game and having fun like usual. So it wasn't traditional advertising like the product placement in Jurassic World, Jesus Christ. Um, but, you know, it's it's just me having fun, you know? Um, so there is a lot of, I guess that's a more non-traditional form of revenue, um, yeah, to do something like that. I think we're going to open up the questions to the audience now, because I'm sure, I know we've got lots of people out there um, <laughs> who are thinking they might dip their toe in the water. Before you speak, we, uh, my, the, the rules I've been given, you need to say your name, and you need to have the mic. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, my name's Karen Graham. Before I actually came in here, I um, had completely different thoughts to what I do now. I've just had some completely new radical ideas that have been shown, and I thought, okay, this, 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 this could probably work. So, yeah, um, I was looking to do something. So it's totally different, my ideas, but, yeah. What, what I was it that changed your thoughts? Well, we've got two Pfeiffer tape mascots coming from my book next week. And we're in carnivals and various other things throughout the country this year. And so what I thought, I mean, seeing some of those things, I could actually have the mascots do crazy stuff. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, it's been I brilliant. highly recommend that. Yeah. <laughs> so, have we got any other questions? We've got one here. Yep. Hi, I'm Ben. I'm a freelance uh, sports photographer. And I'm just interested in, I've come and speak to you at the end, but I'm interested in um, people like you, Maker, and some other YouTube people uh, taking on the, because I mostly focus on disability sport, yeah. is that something that would work with the kids because I've slowly got into thinking this is something Had I'm 22 now and had 10 years ago, they come to me, my sister's disabled, had they come to me and said this is cool, you can do it 
you know, is this something that you guys would be interested in? I'll come and speak to you at the end, but is there any studios out there that are interested in this type of thing? Well, you know, I think the, the thing there is that um, it sounds like you've got a really compelling story to share, right? And so um, don't be afraid to share it. Don't be afraid to, you know, get a GoPro and, 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 and take those first steps and, yeah. and, uh, and put the content out there. And, and if, I, if I look back at all of, our, all of our biggest talent, like PewDiePie started with no one. <laughs> and he started with no one. He just, he just did what he did and he shared his story um, and he found an audience and that audience then connected with him. And so I think, it, you know, great, great, great to chat to you, but there are no barriers anymore. Yeah. There's no barriers for you to, to, to go out there and, and just and, and have a start. And that was something we talked about, creative freedom in terms of what mm. you can do, time, and not having to wait for somebody else to make a decision for you. Yeah. I would honestly say that YouTube is one of the most equal opportunities platforms there is. You don't have to fit a certain TV stereotype, you know? You can be any ethnicity, um, any gender, um, you know, any circumstance and people will watch you, you know, and yeah, I just say go for it. Absolutely. We've got the question. Hi, yeah, it's uh, <coughs> Scott Martin. Um, question for Daniel. So from a talent perspective, do creators always come to you directly or do you actively look to uh, find and develop new talent and potentially even people who aren't creating at the moment? It's a combination. So we have a, a talent network team that are actively going out um, and recruiting and trying to bring in people who are already a bit more established. Um, and we have, then we have a talent team internally that manages uh, effectively a hierarchical structure to the network of 55. We don't have a direct dialogue with 55,000 individuals around the world because what also happens is alongside that on our website, uh, maker.com, we get roughly around 5,000 requests a day to join Maker Studios from all around the world. So that then plugs into a content management system and not all of them can, can, can be brought in because half of them have never uploaded a, a video to their YouTube channel or their, or, or their, or their Facebook page. So that, that, that negates them. And then the other 70% are just uploading copyright infringed material. <laughs> so we can't really do a lot with that. Um, unless it's Disney, we can start to do something with that, but we'll talk more about that another time. Um, and then, and then, then you're left with, and then, then we start to think about how do we plug those channels into our network and the way that we organise them. So we have 23 different categories and verticals, four initial pillars that, that I touched on in, in that presentation. Then a further 23 is the way we organise them. And then they come in, and then we have some really cool technology that's analysing and looking at um, regularity of up of upload, um, engagement, um, view through. So, and then the the system effectively elevates channels and at a certain point in time that channel will have a dialogue with us but when someone joins maker studios they get access to something called maker max which is a website that's a platform that shows the talent um insights around their revenue um more engagement uh, and data around consumption trends and habits and then also back to the very genesis of the company it's to collaborate with other, with other people, other people in your area. So we also have a tool that allows people within their genres to be able to find people in their locality so they can go and do things together. Because when, when creators come together, it's always amazing. Ideas just like start coming. It's so true, isn't it? Like when they get together? Yes. <laughs> so true. And then things start to get made and they find new audiences as a whole new creator. So that's a really important part of, of what we do is kind of getting people together to collaborate. Sorry, long-winded answer. 
I think collaboration is key. It's that cross fertilisation. Yeah. We've got a question. Yeah, hello. Um, my name is Connell Orton. Um, it, it's interesting the way you talk about this being so radically different from TV. Uh, I think there's a lot of content makers at the moment who can see the shift in audience going here and are trying to get into short form um, in a way that suggests the way you're talking about that is potentially a, like a fundamentally flawed model to think of it as making two minute long TV for the internet. But you've also, you know, a lot of the user generated content, you can see how the finances of that work, but you've spoken a bit about commissioning new things, animations and what have you, would just be interesting to understand a bit about how the financial models around that higher quality or more expensive content works. So we're looking to we're looking to develop and we and for the right idea and the right concept there is there's there, there is budget available. And whether that's just a piloting phase or a development phase. Um, but again it's 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 not we're not making telly, we're not going and commissioning, you know, hundred grand episode type things. I'm being really, you know, clear that that, that money isn't available. But um, with Disney and other broadcast partners, there is a big appetite to look at new types of creative programming um, that's not only for their not only for their linear channels but also for their digital channels as well. Um, and so, so in, in in that in that area, that's where we can explore and co-develop. And then in terms of ownership and things like that, it really depends on who's bringing what to to the table. And it's a negotiation. But you know, we're having lots and lots of those conversations actively right now and as I touched on we're already in production on a number of a lot of big shows and new channels and formats so TV uh, linear and then also you know non-linear at different budget levels uh, Greg Lynn from Adrenaline Entertainment we're an intellectual property owning and production company and about to launch a YouTube channel in conjunction with Maker Studios at long last. Um, Kim, a question for you. Since you're a big fan of playing Mario Kart, why would Ubisoft not wait until you played it naturally rather than pay you to do some sort of sponsored clips? <clears throat> I can't speak for what their thought process is. But um, so with the Mario Kart thing, it was because they had new DLC, new content coming. So they gave me early access so that... Um, when the game launched to the general public, um, my video was one of the first out there to show what the game was like and what the content was like. So that's often quite something that um, video game companies will do. They will give you early access to something. So for example, um, I just went to E3 uh, two weeks ago and I was there with Ubisoft and they gave me hands-on with Rainbow Six The Siege. Um, so, um, and I could capture it. And um, so the game's not out yet. It'll be out later this year. But I have a video on my channel that shows it in action. Um, you know, so it's almost, you know, I guess it is like an advertisement to show people how the game works. Because that's what a lot of gamers want nowadays. They don't want a fancy CGI trailer. They want to see what the game looks like um, and how it plays. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not so much waiting for me to kind of get around to it eventually. Um, it's kind of giving me the opportunity to show the audience and show my audience who like seeing me play this type of game. Um, early. Thanks. So just to follow up to that, since you're successful and known for what you do, do you find that most of the opportunities you're offered are on target with uh, the integrity of your brand and you have to say no to most of them or are you still getting lots of things that aren't suitable for what you want to do with your brand? 
Um, I'd say on a whole, I get things that are relevant to who I am. Um, part of this is because um, the gaming opportunities, at least, because I used to be a journalist, I used to be a friend, work with a lot of the PRs, so they know me um, and they know what I like and what I don't like. Um, but examples of things that I turned down, um, so I turned down an Xbox One um, opportunity because it was for um, the latest Call of Duty. And I am not a Call of Duty, well, I play Call of Duty a lot, um, on my uh, in my free time because I love it um, but I don't do it on my channel because you have to be someone like KSI or Ali A a more kind of you have to be male you have to be in that kind of young male audience to really do a good uh, get build a good fan base on it so because my fan base are totally not the male FPS uh, first person shooter demographic I didn't feel comfortable doing a Call of Duty uh, video, um, it wasn't in line with my audience, and I didn't feel comfortable with the kind of people who would perhaps, the kind of fandom who would come with that, so I turned them down. Okay. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. Just, just a quick one off that, Daniel. In terms of sponsorship, because we've got a lot of people here who are from the kids' world, yeah. how is that growing? Because I'm seeing a big shift that sponsors are now talking directly to, to makers, and we've talked about gaming. What about other areas that might be more... Yeah, we have to be very careful because there are very clear guidelines around advertising to minors and things like that in different industries and verticals. So um, specifically with, with, with younger audiences, it's it's sensitive and, and um, it takes some time. So... You know, the, the types of, of partners that we work in that space are your Legos and Hasbros and, and people like that, and, lot, and, and a lot of game, gaming partners, not your McDonald's and Cokes, thankfully. Um, but with those those kind of brand partners, we, we do work at, the, at the, the, the 13, 16 plus demographic because they really struggle to find that, that, that audience. And, um, you know, they have really big budgets. Unilever is five, five billion or so annual marketing spend, so... Like, that's not a bad commissioning budget if you can get a bit of that. Absolutely. And and, and I, I think there's a, there is a shift happening. So in a couple of years' time, it will become even more... The brands will be connecting more. They'll know where they're going and where they're shopping. The, the branded entertainment yeah. revenue stream for Maker Studios is really significant. And growing. And, gro and growing, yeah, growing, yeah. yeah, hugely. Can we have a question... Uh, John Lomas Bullivant um, from Dynamite Studios. Question probably first for Daniel, but also Kim's take on it. Um, the content is different. You know, it's a different style of content to sort of traditional sort of like TV, clearly obvious, but the business model is pretty much fundamentally the same as commercial television. But you made uh, a very good point that you have fans rather than audience. So here's a question. What happens when uh, a presenter on YouTube, somebody like Kim or any one of your guys says, you know what, guys? please watch the advert. Or alternatively, why the advert isn't embedded into the piece, etc. Because you have a relationship with the audience that's very different to the way the TV has a relationship to its sort of consumers. You've got fans, like in the same way that a band has fans who go out and buy their album. Is there not an opportunity that you could actually take the 11%, if we assume 89% skip the ad, up one or two points by actually appealing to the fans to support their um, uh, YouTube stars, essentially in a commercial way to do bigger and better stuff? I think it's a great idea. We have to operate in the uh, the legislation of the platforms that we're on. So, you know, YouTube just wouldn't allow that um, because they have to be very clear around what their ad products are for, for, for their brand partners. Um, but yes, it's, a, it's an interesting point. And um, 
you know, we see that a lot with um, with Indiegogo or Kickstarter. That there is there's a huge amount of momentum behind people wanting to get get behind, um, you know, like new shows and, and new formats and, and things like that. Um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a balancing act. There's a payoff that the audience understand. They know that they're getting great content for free. And even younger audiences understand that, look, I'm not paying for this, I'm getting it. And so they can see through it straight away. So the reason that most of those ads are skipped is because they're just not relevant and appropriate to most of those people. Um, and so if we can just do a better job of getting a bit more relevant and, uh, and personal around the, the, the type of brand sponsor that, that sits alongside that content that's right for the, the right audience, then there will be more money available um, for, the, for the creators in the, in the first place. But I think generally, um, and the studies that, that we've seen, understand the audience, the fans, mm. and the creator understand that there's a payoff. They're getting something for free, I'm gonna watch this ad. Picking up, isn't that, I mean, uh, I mean, in terms of that whole relationship between the advertisers, et cetera, and sort of YouTube, there seems to be in terms of the advertisers are coming at it from a very old school sort of like model. And actually, if you applied the YouTube content creation model to actually creating commercials, you would get a higher relationship because actually the guys who are making the commercials are the guys who are watching the advert. Like Kim could make a commercial for something. She's not necessarily appearing in it, but it just seems like actually there's a massive mismatch and there's an opportunity within YouTube and you maker that you just go, come on guys, we'll make you the advert because we can do it 90% cheaper than the agency you're using. And secondly, we understand our audience. You don't work at Unilever by any chance, do you? Uh, no, I don't, but I could go and tell them that thing because it seems pretty obvious. But look, that, I mean, it's exactly that, right? It's a different medium. And the trouble is that, is that uh, if you look at the, the way that uh, marketing dollars uh, shift to print, radio, TV, digital, it's a, it's a process and it goes through, uh, you know, the, the, the client, the creative agency, then the media agency that plans and buys. And, and there is this disconnect between the, the message, the form of the, of the ad and the medium. And, but you're, you're right, and so you know, we want branded entertainment is, is the biggest, is the fastest growing area of our business from a, from a revenue perspective. And as part of creating great content with Kim, so you know, she'll, she'll, she'll do this uh, you know, amazing, um, you know, she'll create content around a, a new game or a new title, but then alongside that, they'll also create original assets, ads effectively, that are appropriate for that medium, then spend the additional ad dollars running those um, in YouTube or on Facebook or, or, or anywhere else. Does that make sense? Okay. I'd just like to add from a personal side of things, I can actually answer the first part of your question from the audience because the great thing about my relationship with my fan base is they will tell me if I'm out of line. Um, and we did have a situation where one of our channels in our network a couple of months ago did a video that was basically an advert. It was for a a poker tournament or something like that and um, so it went up on our reddit thread and everyone was discussing it what did they how did, comfortable did they feel with the fact that this channel was doing this um, one video it was one video um, and a lot of the audience basically said that they were fine with it because they understood that the, the content creator needed a bit of help with his rent and needed help to live um, he was living out in LA at the time um, and um, yeah they were fine with it and they said it's one video out of his schedule of seven videos uh, a week, seven plus videos a week. So they didn't mind it. But I would say, in my experience, it's a very fine balance to tread. I would not be comfortable doing 
more than 50% sponsored videos on my channel every week. You know, I, I pick and choose. I try not to do too many. I do enough that, you know, I can pay my rent and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be comfortable if my channel suddenly became all adverts and branded materials. And certainly my audience wouldn't be happy with that. And they would be very quick in turning around and telling me, I think you're kind of out of line. One other thing that has come up um, that actually is really great um, on Twitch, um, so a lot of us stream as well on Twitch, so YouTubers also use Twitch um, too, is Twitch has essentially created a, a tip jar. So if people have enjoyed your stream or something like that, they can, they can tip you and uh, you know donate any sum of money to you. Um, and some of our smaller channels use that. Um, you know, to, to help them along. Um, yeah, but I, w I would say it's a very fine balance to walk in all out doing sponsored content versus your own original content. So thank you very much. As I said, Daniel, we were going to run out of time. There were hands up and people wanting to ask questions. So um, uh, we're going to end there and I want to say thank you very, very much for coming up and sharing something that's brand new and something that I think it, Sue's the chair of the um, CMC and been around since the beginning with uh, with some of us. The, the evolution has been huge and I think our community is beginning to realise the opportunities that people like you are providing for us all. So thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>